Good morning. Let's turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. Wonderful, rich chapter that we have been studying. And uh, we want to go through this again. I hope that you have been memorizing this passage. I know some of you have, and uh, I can say honestly that I have gotten all the way through to verse 8 officially and very poorly some of the rest of it, but we're working on it. So I would encourage you to take the time each week, just learn a few more verses each week, add to your repertoire, and uh, pretty soon you'll have the whole book memorized. So I want to encourage you to do that. But Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be, well, let's take a look at the whole passage here, starting with verse 3. Remember, this is one sentence in the Greek. It doesn't end. And Paul is just overflowing with blessing and praise to God. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted and beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you have been given two, well, you can have one, it's okay, round-trip ticket to New York City. And you're going to fly out this afternoon. You're going to be there by first thing tomorrow morning. And after driving to downtown Manhattan to Liberty Street, you arrive at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And if you could enter into that building, if you could enter into that building and get on an elevator and push down, you would travel 80 feet underground. Stories to a depth of uh, 80 feet where you reach the uh, granite underneath New York City. Concealed under this building of five stories, is a sub-basement including what is likely the most or the world's largest depository of gold. And if you could go into that bank vault, I know this is all imaginary, if you could go into that bank vault and take with you all of the gold that is there, all of the gold bars that are there, you would have about $368 billion to your name. Well, after leaving the Federal Reserve Bank, you could take a short stroll to an area that begins one block south of Rockefeller Center. It's called the Diamond District. And if you could go to the Diamond District, where there is about nearly $400 million worth of diamonds exchanged on a daily basis. And if you could add that to your collection of gold, you would have quite a treasure. I know you ladies like gold and diamonds. I think there's one back there who's smiling quite, quite happily. And if you arrived in New York City during Fashion Week, and you were able to walk away with every new outfit that is on display from Christian Dior, Giorgio Armani, Valentino, Versace, and all of the rest of them, from the runway collection... Like it, huh? You would have all of the latest clothes and accessories for every occasion. Now, some of you may not actually want those, but 
that's in style, okay? Well, if you've come away with all that gold and all of that, all of those diamonds and all of those beautiful accessories and clothing, you'd want to find a place to live, wouldn't you? And you'd make your way up the street to Carnegie Hall in Midtown, and there's a new condo project being built nearby, I think it's across the street. The starting price of apartments in this building amount to a minimum of $6,000 per square foot. I have a garage that's about 1,000 square feet. That makes my garage worth $6 million. A sale of nearly 11,000 square foot penthouse unit stole the show recently with a selling price of $8,200 per square foot or just a mere $90 million. That's an apartment, folks. But with all that gold, that would be chump change, wouldn't it? Of course, you'd, to top it off, you'd need something to drive. And if you uh, need a new car, might I just uh, encourage you to think about the Lamborghini uh, Venino, to your, add that to your assets. It will set you back $3.9 million, but Tom won't be able to catch you. <laughs> and you could boast that you have one of only three Veninos that were ever made. Obviously, I'm taking my point to an extreme here, but there's a reason. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This was brought to the forefront of my thinking this past week as I visited my sister who was dying of cancer. Six weeks ago, she called me and she said, do you ever get food stuck in your throat? And I said, yeah. She said, what do you do about it? I said, I had it scanned. I, and she says, well, I can't seem to swallow very well anymore. I said, you better get the scan, find out what's going on. And so she went to the doctor, and they had a scan, and they found that there was a mass in her throat, actually in her esophagus. And so they did further testing and found that she had cancer, stage four. She had, uh, cancer had spread to her liver, and uh, she was dying. There was no hope, no chance of surgery, no chance of anything that would help her uh, to overcome this. And in five short weeks, she went home to be with her Lord. This past week, I visited my sister in the hospital with my youngest sister, Joan. And we were there for most of the day. And at the end of the day, we were walking back to the car. And I said, did you notice something about her, about Patricia? And she says, what? What did you notice? I said, you know, we could talk about stuff, things, and I said, she seemed really quite disinterested, unengaged. But I said, the moment we talked about the Lord, the moment we sang hymns of praise, the moment we prayed, the moment we, we said anything to do with spiritual things, I said, she came alive. And I said, she really, I, I said, you know, I see in her, it's almost like she knows that her body is decaying. Her body is falling apart. But inside she has a soul and a spirit that are alive and very much alive to God. And it seems like she almost wants, her soul and spirit want to come out. <laughs> and when you, uh, when you see her, I said, watch her tomorrow and see if I'm right. And she was consistent that way the rest of her day. She said, Joan said to me after I left, she says, you know, every day I go in there, I watch for what you said. And she says, it's true. It's exactly how she's responding. The earthly tent was falling apart, but she was very much alive spiritually. I learned some very striking lessons from my sister this past week as I watched her die. She taught us how to die with dignity and with grace. She taught us that the things of life are really of no value. If you have all of the gold and silver and platinum and palladium and diamonds and fashion accessories and real estate and cars, and if you were to accumulate, as Jesus said, the whole world, it's all yours, everything, in the end, what does it really matter? Just before I arrived in Vancouver, 
my youngest sister, Joan, was going to go out uh, shopping with her daughter. And she had this strong impression that she should stop by Patricia, my older sister's home, and just see how she was doing. She noticed that the front door was open, so she walked in, and she found my sister collapsed over the kitchen countertop, unable to move, unable to call out for help. She was stuck there and had been stuck there for an hour and uh, probably would have died standing up right there had my sister not arrived at that time. And uh, so, of course, they called for an ambulance. The ambulance took her to the hospital, and it turns out that was her final journey anywhere from her home to the hospital. And before she left, she took nothing with her. She took no clothes. She took no jewelry. She took no makeup. She took nothing. And she arrived at the hospital, and they gave her not a Versace or whatever, whoever that was up there, uh, designer clothes. It was a hospital gown. Pretty, aren't they? Hardly a fashion statement. But you know, at that stage of her life, there was nothing of value on earth. The price of gold did not matter. The accumulation of diamonds, (laughs) who really cares? No more purchases, no needless shopping trips. Even food itself was of no interest to her. All that mattered to her was Jesus and praise to him for what he had done for her. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Perhaps, and this is how I was thinking this past week, perhaps if all of us here this morning were stripped of all that we have, and we all sat here together this morning in our hospital gowns, not a pretty picture, stripped of everything, maybe it would, we would appreciate the Lord Jesus all the more for who he is and for what he has done for us. If we have no hope beyond the grave, we are of all people to be pitied. But as I said in recent weeks, wait, there's more. And there's a lot more here that we want to look at this morning. Paul greets us in this passage with a hymn of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We don't have the hymn. I asked if we could sing it this morning, and we don't even have it in our hymn books. I can't believe it. It's a song that says, count your blessings. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done for you. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to start counting some of the blessings. And that's not all of them. We don't have time for all of them. But I want to just look at this passage this morning and begin to count our blessings, the blessings that we have in Christ. So the trip to New York, of course, is pure fantasy. We're not going there. We're going to take a trip, not to New York, but to New Birth, where everything is pure reality. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, not silver, not gold, not fashion accessories and the like, but with what matters the most, spiritual blessings. Let's start counting our blessings. Number one, verse three, we are in Christ. Last week, Eric pointed out that Christ is our federal head. Just like Adam is our federal head, he acted as us, in the garden and plunged us all into sin, Christ acted on our behalf as us on the cross and he died in our place. And everything we have today is based on what he has done on the cross. To be in Christ, um, which is the portion of all who are saved, says Schaefer, is to partake of all that Christ has done, all that he is, and all that he ever will be. Now, the phrase, if you did a study in the New Testament and you just looked at the phrase in Christ or in the Beloved or in the Lord Jesus or whatever, in Him, um, you could study that for weeks. And I would encourage you to do that sometime because these are the riches that we have in Christ. But let's take a look at some of them uh, this morning. The phrase in Christ is found all over the New Testament Um, If you have a pen and paper, you might want to write some of the verse references down for further study. What do you have in Christ? You are justified. 
What does that mean? You are declared righteous in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.24 and Galatians 2.16. You are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.11. You have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. I love this one. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, Romans 8.39, there is nothing that can separate you from him, from the love of God for, for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 12.5, we are one body in Christ. You are approved in Christ. Romans 16.10, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.2, you triumph in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2.14. You are new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You have liberty in Christ, Galatians 2.4. You are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.26. We are one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. We were brought near to God in Christ, Ephesians 2.13. You are forgiven in Christ, Ephesians 4.32. You are perfect in Christ, Colossians 1.28. And you have salvation in Christ, 2 Timothy 2.10. All of these are yours in Christ. The union that you have with him provides you with all of this and so much more. That's just a sampling. That's not the full picture. Someone once asked, what could the wealth of all 1,426 billionaires on earth accomplish? And I would tell you this, this would be my answer, nothing of eternal significance, nothing. Even if we could empty the Federal Reserve vault, there is not enough gold and silver and precious metals or jewelry in the world that could buy a single benefit that you already have in Christ. Gold is the asphalt of heaven. It's the dirt we walk upon in heaven. Gold. Gold has never saved. It has never sanctified. It has never forgiven. It has never glorified anyone. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all of our sins. And if you are in Christ, you are richer than all of the billionaires in the world put together. Number two, that's just number one, and all those subpoints. Number two, you are a chosen one. Verse four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is divine election. God chose you before there was ever a creation. And he has caused all things to work together to accomplish his purposes in bringing you to himself. He promised to send a Savior, and he did. He sent a Savior to die in your place. And then he arranged all of the uh, events in your life, in time and in space, in such a way that he would draw you to himself. And he did. And God continued to intersect your life and arranged all of the events in your life, everything to do with you, to bring you to the point where you would hear the gospel, understand the gospel, and bow the knee to him and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. You are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Runway models might be chosen for a season, and they might be honored by wearing a famous brand, for a season. And some of it, I would say most of it, is hideous. But you, that's right, you were chosen by God and will be honored not for a season, but for eternity. And you will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. No one can pay the price for that, but Jesus did. He did that for you. Number three, it goes along with his purpose in choosing you and saving you. It is that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. Immediately upon your salvation, he declared you 
holy. You are holy. That is your position in Christ. Now, that's not your practice, I realize, but your practice should be conformed more and more to your position in Christ. And as Paul said, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Lord in your life right now. When you were saved, you were like a diamond in the rough. Every diamond, if you've ever seen this take place, they look kind of ugly at the beginning. But you get a diamond uh, craftsman, a cutter, and he knocks off the parts of the diamond that shouldn't be there, that are hindering the light reflecting through the diamond and showing off the brilliance of the diamond. Well, God is that master craftsman. And you, when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, were that diamond in the rough. And God causes, as a craftsman, trials to enter your life, certain situations to enter your life, difficulties and joy for the purpose of making you more like His Son, because that's what He's after. He wants all of His jewels in heaven to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ, to be like Him. So, James says this, Consider it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Number four, you are predestined (laughs) to adoption as sons. Verse 5. This means that God had your destiny marked out before the foundation of the world. You were predestined to be His Son. And in time, He saved you and He placed you into His family. He chose you. He wooed you in time. He called you and He saved you. And he performed such a transformation in your life that you were born again. And you are a son. (laughs) You are a son of God with all the rights and all of the privileges that he can afford. As a fully mature son. As a son, you are not just a son, but you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So you can honestly say, Whatever God has is mine because I am His and He is mine. And why did He do that? Just because it was His good pleasure. That's what He wanted to do. Do you realize that? It pleased pleased God to do that for you. Number five. The reason He chose you was to demonstrate His amazing grace. We sing about it. Grace is God's undeserved favor. And He chose the most unlikely objects in all of creation to show or to magnify His grace. He bypassed the angels, the Scripture says, and did not give them aid. But He provided salvation for sinful men. And He provides salvation for a sinner like you. Because in saving such an unlikely candidate, it is to the praise of the glory of His grace. Look at the people God has chosen to save. Think about them. Think about the people God chose to save. You. Me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things. Count me in. That's me. That's who he's talking about. The foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There's no glory for us, no glory to us for having believed. But there's all the glory to Him for choosing such unlikely candidates and saving us anyway. Number six, we 
are accepted in the beloved. It's a wonderful truth. Do you remember when the angel appeared to Mary that night? And uh, he told Mary that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Wow. Do you realize how many women were waiting in anticipation that I wonder who it will be? If a Messiah is coming, obviously the Messiah has to be born from some woman. I wonder who it will be. And that night an angel appeared to Mary. And Mary uh, listened and the angel said this, Rejoice, highly favored one. Highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Wow. You say, oh, I wish I could be a highly favored one. I wish that could have been me. Well, it could have been me, but you know. I wish the Lord would say that to me. Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that's exactly what he does say to you. That is exactly the same word that is used of Mary. Highly favored one, accepted in the beloved. I don't like the translation of it, but really what it means is you are just like Mary. God has chosen you. You are a highly favored one um, among, by God. You, like Mary, are a highly favored one in the beloved in Christ. Number seven, in him we have redemption through his blood. Vernon Grounds tells a story of a missionary who went to West Africa, and he was trying his hardest to explain to the uh, tribal people there um, what, it, what redemption is. And he couldn't figure out a word for it. And so he had an, an African language um, assistant, and he said to the assistant, could you express to, the, to your people what I'm trying to say? And so in the Bambara language... <clears throat> the translator said, God took our heads out. And the missionary looks in there and goes, what? He says, yeah, God took our heads out. He says, how does that express redemption? He says, oh, that's easy. He said, um, many years ago, our ancestors were captured by slave traders. And they were chained together and as they were being marched down towards the boats to be taken to America or wherever, uh, they were driven to the seacoast. Each of the prisoners had a heavy iron collar around his neck. And as the slaves passed through a village, a village chief might notice a friend among the slaves that were being taken away. And he would go to the slave traders and he would offer to pay the price in gold or ivory or silver or brass or some other means to redeem that person by that payment. And then his head would be taken out of the collar. Taken out of the collar. He was redeemed. He was set free. Well, brothers and sisters, we were slaves. And we were in the slave market of sin. And we had a heavy collar around us. It was called sin, and it was dragging us to hell. And Jesus Christ saw us, the chosen ones that he had chosen before the foundation of the world. And he says, I am going to pay the price to redeem their souls. And it was nothing short of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's the price he paid to redeem you. He is our redeemer. We have been redeemed. Number eight, <clears throat> we have the forgiveness of sins. I, don't, I, I like um, TV trials, not the real ones. I like the fake ones because they're more dramatic. But have you ever watched a trial on TV? You know, it's one of those nail-biter trials, and you can't figure out, you know, whether the guy's guilty or innocent. And, and then the trial is over, and the jury is sent out, and then the moment arrives when the jury reads the verdict. And they come back, and they say something like this. We, the jury, in the above-mentioned action, find the defendant, and then they pause. And the camera pans over to the defendant, and he's biting his nails, and sweat is on his brow, and, and then he look over at the jury again, and they go back and forth like this on TV, you know, and they go, commercial break. And you go, oh, please. Guilty or not guilty, what is it? Well, I know the story in this trial. And this trial is very simple. I was guilty. 
But God, the judge, declares me not guilty based on the payment that Jesus Christ made on the cross. He already bore my punishment. The punishment has been paid, and I am not guilty. The forgiveness of sins. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The forgiveness of sins is no small measure. It's for every one of your sins that you have ever committed in the past, in the present, or in the future. It includes all the sins of commission, if you want to call it that. The sins we've committed. All of the sins of omission. Things that we should have done and never did do. It includes all of that. It includes the sins of your thoughts. It includes the sins of your deeds. It includes every sin and not one of them was forgotten by God, but every one of them has been forgotten by God now that you're saved. And it is according to the riches of His grace which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. You thought you had a little minor stream of sin in your life, but I'm telling you, from God's perspective, it was the Niagara Falls. And He's forgiven us all of our sins. That's how much His grace has abounded towards us. What does the Bible say? For where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And he has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. We looked at this this morning. That passage, I was going to say this this morning, that passage that David read from this morning is indelibly linked to an event in my life. I will never forget it. Um, Some of you remember Debbie uh, Hall, she was a, a lady who came to know the Lord. She was very, very sick at the time. She had AIDS. She looked like a skeleton with skin painted on it. And she was dying of, uh, of the consequences of her sin. And she came to know the Lord. <laughs> I'm telling you, in her sick and emaciated condition, she would come out to the Lord's Supper and with a bright smile on her face, loving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, Shortly after she came to know the Lord, Sandra Shorkin brought her up to my house, and she was struggling a little bit. Has God really forgiven me for my sins? Think of what I've done. Look at me. It's evident. And I went over that passage with her, David. I went over that passage, and we got to that passage, that verse that says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your transgressions from. I said, Debbie, do you understand what that means? She says, no, not really. I said, well, how far? She lived in San Leandro. I live in Castro Valley. She said, I said, how far is the east from the west? She says, I don't know. From San Leandro to Castro Valley? (laughs) I said, no, it's a lot further. And I explained to her that you cannot measure the distance between east and west. It's a straight line in opposite directions, and they never meet, and they never come together. And that's how far God has removed your transgressions from you. And she looked at me, and I, it was, the, the expression on her face was priceless. I wish I could have had a camera and caught that moment where she finally realized that her sins were gone, forgiven, all of them, under the blood of Christ. As far as the east is from the west, forgiven. And your sins and iniquities, God said, I will remember no more. It's done. What a blessing we have. There isn't enough gold and precious things on earth that could pay for that. You can't get it apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Number nine, he has made, us, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. I want to tell you a secret. It was hidden from all of the Old Testament prophets. They longed to look into this and didn't see it. It was hidden all the way back to Adam. In fact, Adam didn't know anything about it either. It was hidden to all of the angels. And it was known only to God from eternity past. And God has now revealed it to us through His Word. It's a secret that God had and has now revealed it to us. That's what a mystery is in the Bible. God has pleased, is pleased to let you in on his secret. And what is a secret? Well, it has to do with a mystery of his will, something that he had planned all along. 
and it has to do with the church. Now, we're going to look at this more in more detail in chapters 2 and 3, so I'm not going to steal the thunder of whoever's preaching on that then, but it, I'll just give you that clue. This is the part of the secret. It has to do with Christ and the church. We're going to cover that more later. But you're part of that secret. You're part of that secret plan that God had in store from eternity past before the foundation of the world. Part of that plan, number 10, is that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. This verse tells us that God has something wonderful planned for the final dispensation of human history. When the church is completed and the Lord Jesus Christ will come back to rapture us home to be with him in heaven, the history of the church will be over and all of the redeemed of the church age will be gathered together with the Lord. Then he will return to the earth at the end of the tribulation period and he will set up his throne on the earth and he will reign uh, in Jerusalem, but he will reign over all the earth. And during this final dispensation, which we call the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, Jesus will reign over all things in heaven and over all things on earth. Now, some people mistakenly take this verse and, and they teach universal salvation from this. It says that he uh, gathers together in one all things in Christ. He's not teaching universal salvation. He's teaching universal dominion. Jesus Christ will reign. He will be supreme. And every eye shall see him. And every heart will recognize who he is. And every knee will bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And in Revelation eleven fifteen we read, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I was driving down the freeway this morning to uh, come to church, and that song, the Messiah, the, um, was playing on, the, on, the, um, on Pandora. little word in there for Pandora. And uh, wonderful song. And he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. Wonderful, wonderful. I was told, I don't know if this is true, but I was told one time that when this was first, um, during the first uh, singing of the Messiah, that the King of England was there and he heard the song. Remember back in those days that England was a world superpower. It controlled vast, a vast domain. It said that the sun never set on the British kingdom. It, it's, the king ruled over Australia and New Zealand and Canada and England and half of Africa and India and who knows what else. They had it all. And he was the king of it all. And he was sitting in the audience as they were playing the Messiah. And as they got to that, that song, King of kings and Lord of lords, the king stood up in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you, if the king stands up, <laughs> the whole audience stood up. And I don't know if it's still practiced, but I think it is. Anytime the Messiah is sung, when they get to that song, the audience stands up. Why do they do it? In honor and deference to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you, there is coming a day when it will be better still, where every knee shall bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In him, verse, uh, number 11, and also verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. You have an inheritance, and it's not an apartment worth $90 million in Manhattan or a Lamborghini Veneno. That would be far too small a prize for someone that God values as much as you. What did it cost him to make you his son? It cost the lifeblood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So do you really believe that God would leave an inheritance to you that would simply rust and decay in your garage? I don't think so. Hardly. What kind of inheritance does God reserve for you? Well, let me tell you, part of your inheritance. Okay? 
you shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. Isn't that better than an apartment? You shall inherit eternal life. Isn't that better than just a few more years? You shall inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. Since all the kingdoms of this world will come under the dominion of our Lord Jesus Christ, who would ever want to be just the President of the United States? Think about it. You shall inherit the promises, Hebrews 6.12. What promises? Well, all of the promises in the book. They're yours. You shall inherit a blessing, 1 Peter 3.9. You shall inherit all things. It sums it up, doesn't it? There it is. Revelation 21.7. You are God's children, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a Gentile this morning, and I think most of you are, um, I hate to rain on your parade, but Paul is not speaking to you in verse 11. <gasps> you say, all of that inheritance doesn't belong to me? That's not mine? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been named in a last will and testament, you know, in a, in a will? How many of you have ever been named? Okay, a few of you have. Now, I don't know whether you've done this or not. The, the will reads something like this. I, Don Robertson, being of a sound mind and body, and say a whole bunch of legal gobbledygook, only to get to the good stuff, and that's where your name is in the, in the will, right? And you want to know, well, what, what did he leave to me? What's mine? What do I get? Now, I know some of you don't think that way, but some do. And everyone is waiting impatiently to hear their name and to find out what's in it for them. Well, if you're a Gentile, your name doesn't appear in verse 11. Paul is speaking to the Jews. And we have to be very careful here because he says in uh, verse 11, in him also we, and he's not talking about Gentiles, he's talking about Jews. We have obtained an inheritance. We who? We Jews. It's true, that's who he's talking about. We Jews who thought that the greatest gift from God came in the form of earthly blessings were actually marked out beforehand for a destiny far greater than that. We Jews were predestined to inherit all things in Christ. It wasn't all the Jews who inherited this because it's not based on their national origin. It is based on faith in Jesus Christ. It is only to the Jews, he said, I mean, it belongs only to the Jews who, the next verse says, who first trusted in Christ. Why? That those Jews might be to the praise of His glory. The gospel message, you remember as you read the book of Acts, it went out to the Jews first. And it kept saying, and we kept hearing that and reading that to the Jews first, to the Jews first, to the Jews first, to the Jews first. And that's what Paul is saying here. The inheritance is to the Jews first. This brought God glory and an amazing inheritance to them. So now we Gentiles are sitting here going, well, how come I'm not named there? And you're sitting here listening to the inheritance and you're wondering, well, what about me? Is my name there too? Well, read verse 13. That's where your name appears. Whew. In him, you... So he said, we, talking about the Jews, now he's talking about the Gentiles. In him you, Gentiles, also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now he's linking the Jews and the Gentiles together and saying, by the way, the inheritance is yours too. Wow, it is mine. <laughs> and it's yours. All of you who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is this. The national heritage of um, being a Jew was no advantage. And being a Gentile was no disadvantage. Because we are all one in Christ. When you Gentiles believed, he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I love that. 
On the first day of summer, 1983, beautiful, clear night, full moon. I was, uh, took a young lady that I love very de dearly to uh, a walk in the park late at night. And there by Green Lake in Seattle, there was the lake there and the full moon in the distance and the reflection of the moon on the, um, the water. And we sat down on a park bench. And eventually I got up the courage to stand up and I got down on one knee. And I took her by the hand and I said, <laughs> wiping away the tears that were streaming down my face. I said, Krista, will you do the honor of being my wife? Will you marry me? Eternity went by as I waited for an answer. <laughs> no, she jumped off the bench. <laughs> and she said, I will, yes, 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 oh, yes. Or something like that. I, all I can say is, thankfully, she said yes. <laughs> and I took a ring, and I placed it on her finger. And at that moment, we became engaged. That ring was my pledge to her that I was going to follow through and marry her. And I would become her husband, and she would become my wife. That seal of promise uh, that she would not just get the ring, but one day... Oh, lucky her, she would get me. <laughs> the best was yet to come. Well, there's a day when Jesus proposed to you. He offered you himself as your Savior and as your Lord. And he essentially asked you, will you be mine? Will you be mine? Will you take me as your Lord and Savior? and be mine forever. And the moment you said, yes, yes, oh yes, He took the Holy Spirit of God and placed Him in you as a seal of promise. That was your engagement ring that the best is yet to come. You get not just the Holy Spirit, you get Him, you get it all. It's all yours in Christ. The Holy Spirit of God came Sealed the Jews, yes, but also the Gentiles. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You Gentiles who believe were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The engagement ring of God. A pledge of all that is to come. But there's more. Did you notice the personal pronoun in verse 14? Again, I said this before. No longer does Paul say we Jews or you Gentiles. Instead he says of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now this is a huge hint about what is in store. The inheritance is not just for the Jews. It is not just the Gentile. It's ours. Paul says uh, the Jews and Gentile tags no longer apply in the church. They don't belong. We are one in Christ. We are one body. In him. There's a story of an old Scottish woman who uh, one day went out on the front porch of her cottage and uh, it was a bright, clear, sunny day and she came out into the lights and the warmth of the sunshine. And you know, us Scottish people are very possessive, speaking as a full blooded Robertson, Robertson, I should say. And she looked up and she basked in the warmth and the light of the sun, uh, the summer sun, and she said, I've got the whole sun to myself. It's all mine. Absolutely true. It's all hers. Of course, I could have gone out on that same day and gone out into the warmth and the light of the sun and I could have said the same thing. I've got the whole sun to myself. It's all mine. And that would have been equally true. And all of you could have done the same thing. And it would have been equally true. You and I can say this. I have Christ, and I have the inheritance, and it's all to myself. And you can say the same thing. 
And in me having it, it doesn't diminish in any way what you have in Christ. It's not that we have each a part of Him. We have all of Him. It's not that we have a part of the inheritance. We have it all. We all share. Equally, fully, completely. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ does. When every last one whom He chose before the foundation of the world stands before Him, complete in Christ, with our spirit and soul and a new body, thankfully, then the redemption that He purchased with His own blood will be complete to the praise of the glory of God. And we will sing with all the saints in that day. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's give Him thanks. Lord, as we begin to count the blessings that you've given to us, they are innumerable, more than tongue can tell. Lord, we've just begun to consider in small measure the wonderful things that you have given to us in Christ. Lord, our hearts pour out our gratitude and thanks to you for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, that you would look upon us and save unworthy sinners and give to us such incredible blessings. Lord, it's more than the world has to offer. And when we look at what the world has to offer in comparison, Lord, it's rubbish. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is our Lord and Savior. He alone is King of kings and Lord of lords, and we gladly bow to him. Lord, let these blessings that we have heard about this morning remind us to... Walk in a manner that's worthy of you, pleasing you in all that we do, in all that we say. Lord, help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.